What's up, Team Female? Welcome to Female Political Strategy, Female First, Female Forward, Politically Non-Binary. I'm Ro. I'm Lola. And I'm Elle. And today we're going to talk about an article I wrote about a new concept I'd like to introduce called feminist realism. Tell us all about it, Lilith. I'll just dive in right into the article. So title is Feminist Realism, an Introduction. There's been much debate over what type of feminism female dating strategy represents ever since the creation of the female dating strategy subreddit in 2019, February. FDS borrows considerably from radical feminism, radical meaning root, in that we acknowledge the patriarchal roots of inequality between men and women. I want to like jump in here because I've seen a lot of critiques of FDS and then saying that like we're not really radical feminist because of XYZ. Mm -hmm. And I want to make it clear, like, we have parts where we're inspired by radical feminism, especially a lot of the porn critique, but everybody who's involved in FDS isn't necessarily a radical feminist. And I want to clarify that because I feel like we've been, like, lambasted and dragged by a lot of radical feminists. and We've been dragged by radical feminists for not being radical feminist-y enough, but also, like, liberal feminists who feel like like they're just trying to like pigeonhole us into a certain philosophy and then dismiss us based on that. And I'm like, well, there's some really good stuff in radical feminism, right? So it's not that we're completely distancing ourselves from it, but it's just like, if you're expecting some kind of purity of thought, you won't get it because we borrow from whatever strategic ideas we think work. Yeah. So I mean, I get into that. So I'll, let, let me continue. Patriarchy is a system in which men as a class dominate women as a class and in which men use their power over women to privilege themselves and to extract sexual, reproductive, domestic, and emotional labor from women. And FDS were aligned with radical feminism in our opposition to liberal feminism, particularly being, as you said, Roe, anti-porn, anti-prostitution, and anti-BDSM. A lot of radical feminists do support FDS for these reasons. However, some radical feminists critique FDS and they say we're not sufficiently radical enough. It's false that we were generated from radical feminism. And that was a claim that somebody made on TikTok, a prominent like liberal feminist made. I'm like, we were making dating strategy and stumbled upon some of the ideas that radical feminism pushes, right? It was a dating strategy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of what a lot of what radical feminists say is literally just like facts, right? And so it makes sense that FDS would be aligned with that again, because we like to have our strategies be based in reality and not ideology as with, you know, liberal feminism. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of overlap, but I don't think that FDS is radical feminism. They've tried to pigeonhole the subreddit and say like, oh, and I saw someone say that all of the moderators came from gender critical and that gender critical is responsible for FDS. And that's just not true. Yeah, it's just blatantly false. We were all trying to just improve our dating lives and we happened upon radical feminism. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So jumping back to the article, you know, a lot of rad femmes who are more radical than us, maybe they think that we're not sufficiently critical of heterosexual relationships, marriage, motherhood, beauty standards, and so on. Others argue that FDS reinforces traditional gender roles because we expect men to pay for dates and we tell women not to chase men. And some radical feminists are full-on female separatists and disagree with the entire premise of having any relationships with men whatsoever. And we often say that FDS is a strategy, not an ideology, because we welcome women from all political backgrounds, and we focus on practical strategies to ruthlessly advance women's interests. Our goal is maximizing female benefit, regardless if she wants to be a career woman, a stay-at-home mother, or somewhere in between. However, since we launched the Female Dating Strategy podcast in March 2021, and its political spinoff, Female Political Strategy, that's us, in December 2021, it's become increasingly clear to me that FDS is a feminist movement in its own right. 
I mean, to address the immense backlash we got from even platforming L on FDS, I feel like conceptually we're trying something different than what's been traditionally quote unquote feminist, which the Democratic Party or liberalism has a chokehold on, which I think is ruffling a lot of people's feathers because they don't think of any woman that's a conservative could also be feminist. Yeah, when we had the episode with Elle, I saw a few comments that were like, conservatives can't be feminist, feminism is inherently left-wing, and I just think it's a bad strategic move to pigeonhole feminism or female advancement as either left or right-wing, because first of all, like, there are a lot of women within the conservative party right now who are starting to realize a lot of the things that we're realizing that a lot of men are shit, right? So I think by excluding them and shutting them out, it's a bad strategic move, first of all. Secondly, female advancement and feminism should be beneficial to all women and not just women who are left-leaning. A lot of the changes that feminism has brought has also been beneficial to conservative women, right? Like, you know, Amy Coney Barrett, for example, wouldn't be on the Supreme Court if it wasn't for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? So I think that female advancement should be beneficial to women as a class and not just women who have a certain political leaning. One other thing I wanted to touch on is the other reason why we invited Elon is because I do remember when FDS first started to take off, there were a lot of converts from red pill women and like the trad wife subreddits, quite a few of which Elle was one. Some people roast us for that. They say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be proud of the fact that red pill women are drawn to you or something. And it's like... (laughs) Bitch, I am fucking proud of any woman finding value in FDS, right? Yeah. I feel like an evangelical that's managed to save a Satanist or something. You did. (laughs) You saved my soul. Like, thank you for redemption. I saved your soul, sis, okay? Well, we filled a niche that wasn't being met. Like I said, there's a lot of women for whom the liberal utopian vision of gender relations just doesn't apply to them, right? Like it's just it's just not realistic because of the job they are, the social economic class they're in, their religion, etc. And liberal feminism doesn't help those women in a way that's like material, especially when it comes to dealing with men in their immediate social group. And so I feel like we bridged that gap for them and also gave them like a sense of female camaraderie that was maybe missing. Yeah. Um, so a lot of women were saying, man, I like female dating strategy over red pill women because these women feel empowered, like they're taking action and a lot of their things make sense. And even if they do want a traditional marriage, a lot of the stuff they were being taught on red pill women was just men LARPing and like downloading misogyny on them. And so they weren't vetting men properly. So even if you do want a traditional marriage, like you can't use red pill women and get it because they're going to lead you to get into relationships with abusive men because red pill men are scrotes. I saw a really good tweet today that was like, trad men are trad men in a BDSM way, not in a religious way. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the one thing I just wanted to add about coming from red pill to FDS is FDS is utilitarian. At the end of the day, there is no like belief system. There is no really any sacred words. It's just, it's female first and not in a heady cerebral way. It's female first because I am a woman and it's something that brings back my sense of purpose back to me. And I think we women kind of fall into like a nurturing role where we take care of literally everybody but ourselves, which is related to like societal stuff, biological stuff, a whole bunch of other hosts of things that, um, may or may not be weighing in, but it's just shifting that focus from everybody else to yourself and itself. That's truly empowering. And that's what FDS brings to the table. And that's apolitical. Oh, I'm going to get to the word empowering in a bit, Elle. You're going to, I think you're going to like what I have to say about that word. Okay. I'm stoked. (laughs) Jumping back into the article, 
In my opinion, I consider FDS a form of feminist realism. By realism, I'm referring to Realpolitik, which is a school of thought within political philosophy. It was coined in 1853 by German writer and politician uh, Ludwig von Rochow. Ro- I don't know how to pronounce the fucking name. Anyways, Rochow. Um, he argues that the law... And by the way, um, Lud- Ludwig von Rochow himself was a liberal. And so this is another thing that gets misunderstood about rail politique. It's not like when it was coined, it was just some guy being like, oh, ha, ha, you know, I'm going to be Machiavellian and like plot how to take over the world and be evil and that kind of stuff. Like he himself was liberal and was writing from the perspective of, you know, why is it that, you know, all these great ideas from liberalism have failed to yield so many results, right? So, um, Anyway, so he, he argued that the law of power governs the political world much in the same way that the law of gravity governs the physical world. Realpolitik is defined as a system of politics or principles based on practical rather than moral or ideological considerations. And the opposite of realpolitik is political liberalism, which emphasizes cooperation, idealism, utopia, and so on. And so I think of FDS as sort of the feminist application of realpolitik, much in the same way that liberal feminism is the feminist application of liberalism. And keep in mind, the concept of realpolitik emerged in the context of the 19th century collision between Enlightenment-era liberal idealism and the brutal realities of power politics. And the conditions for that are very similar to now within feminism. Likewise, FDS emerged in the context of the collision between liberal feminist idealism and the brutal realities of male power under patriarchy. And so a feminist application of realpolitik focuses on practical strategies to increase female power, as opposed to liberal feminism, which strives for equality, or radical feminism, which strives for female liberation. The one thing with uh, liberal feminism, it's not just that it tries to strive for equality, it strives to divest ourselves from everything that makes us female to be equal, which is part of what I was ranting against in our episode we did about Elon Musk's tech bros, <laughs> right? Their entire their entire ethos and argument was that if we create artificial wombs, that'll increase equality. And I'm like, why do we have to divest ourselves of being women and doing the things that we need to do as women in order to be quote unquote equal to men? And that's, that's across the board, right? And we've talked about how bad that is when it came to sexual politics and the sexual revolution and how trying to be the same as men in order to prove our equality was disastrous because we clearly have biological differences, which make our risks and rewards massively different in comparison to men. Yeah, and that's why I personally align more closely with radical feminism in the sense that it focuses on female liberation from male oppression. But my only problem with that is that it's like liberation from what? It's like, where where do you go after that? My point being that, you know, when you're at war, for example, I know that people might reject this idea of me framing patriarchy as a war. But like, when you're at war, it's important to have specific goals for how you define victory. You know, whether it's like a territorial win or, you know, a heart, winning hearts and minds kind of thing, you have to have a specific goal in mind. And so my problem with radical feminism, they're like, oh, we want liberation from male oppression. And it's like, okay, but what does that look like? What do you do after, right? Is it like female-only commune? You know, is it matriarchy? And the problem with liberal feminism, which is striving for equality, is that, first of all, it's just very, like, shallow. I feel like most of the time, liberal feminism, it's about treating the symptoms rather than the cause. 
they'll look at these power dynamics between men and women and they say stupid shit like patriarchy hurts men too, which is completely ignoring the whole reason why patriarchy exists in the first place, which is that it benefits men. It benefits like a large enough percentage of them that they prefer it over other systems. I mean, do men suffer under patriarchy? Yes, but they also benefit from it overwhelmingly. (laughs) But jumping back to the article, in international relations theory, rail politique evolved into realism, which is a theoretical framework that characterizes global politics as a conflict between state actors seeking to advance their own interests. And realism is state-centric, and it assumes that states are primarily motivated by rational self-interest and desire power as a means of self-preservation. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's what's really been missing from our discussion about feminism is whenever they make these tropes, they don't fill in the blank and they don't say the thing, which is the reason why we're having these problems is because men have chosen to prioritize themselves. Part of the problem with sugarcoating everything in terms of equality is like if you have one group that's playing to win and the other group that's like playing for equality, you're going to just keep moving the Overton window towards one direction, which is what keeps happening, right? And like you have to advocate for yourself in the absolute. Women just need to start saying, okay, like we need to advocate for us to be considered in a hundred percent of the cases and us to be looked at as the default human beings whenever we're making decisions in the same way that men are looked at, looked at as the default human beings. Like we would get a lot closer to the middle versus like them trying to shove certain things down our throat and then being like, if you have a problem with it, it's because you're not striving to be equal enough to men, right? Like your, 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 uh, your female biology is therefore an inconvenience to everyone else. Well, a lot of what you're describing can be explained by game theory. And I'm going to write another, that's another article that I have in mind. This, by the way, is just an introduction. I have like dozens of articles in mind that are going to be hopefully, you know, chapters maybe in a future book or something. But um, yeah, game theory is, do I want to explain game theory? That's another topic for another day. No, yeah, not in this episode. (laughs) But basically like men are playing to benefit themselves. Women are playing to create a situation where both parties win. But if you are the one who wants both parties to win and the other person just wants themselves to win, you're going to lose basically. Okay. Um, So the opposite of political realism is liberalism, which rejects power politics, emphasizes peace and recognizes non-state actors, such as non-governmental organizations. In my view, Men and women are like two nations. Under patriarchy, man is like a nation that uses his superior physical strength to invade, dominate, control, and essentially colonize and extract labor from women, the smaller and less powerful state. And this occurs on both an individual and societal level. So on the micro scale, we have male dominance over women in the form of maybe an abusive relationship where the man expects the woman to provide him with certain physical, emotional and sexual services. And if she doesn't comply, he feels he has the right to punish. So uh, that's to sort of echo, you know, our Lundy Bancroft episode. And on a macro level, men exert power over women through various laws, social norms, the sex industry, sexual harassment, discrimination, male violence against women and girls, which is, I consider a form of stochastic terrorism and false binaries such as the Madonna whore complex. And our critics often accuse us of having a combative or competitive approach to dating and relationships rather than a cooperative one. But the unfortunate reality is that it's impossible to have peaceful relations with a nation that's actively attacking you. Women didn't start this war, men did, and women are finally fighting back. I love that. I just feel like it's weird where we can pretty much observe that for most species out there, the males and the females have a competing set of interests and we can be pretty 
Just look at ducks, right? Yeah, like ducks. So yeah, you can, we can be pretty like blunt and observant about that. But with humanity and when it comes to the way that feminism conceptually, at least liberal feminists conceptualize this, they consider it extreme to like acknowledge that men just have straight up competing interests and they they don't do it because they don't want to because it doesn't benefit them. So that their constants like appeal to empathy is falling on deaf ears because they don't care. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of us who feel more, who want a type of feminism that feels more empowering constantly get annoyed at the like constant whining like sis they don't give a fuck like you can whine all the time like men shouldn't do this and men should like uh, I shouldn't have to be that women they're always the gatekeepers of sex and women shouldn't have to do this and I'm like yes that's probably true but why should they give a shit yeah because <laughs> right? like, that's essentially what my my issue with liberal feminism is it's a lot of like whining about things men should care about but no actual action to create consequences if they don't care about said things. So then that's where it leads a lot of women to get into relationships or make like a million think pieces about the things that men should do without any practical strategy as to how to achieve that. And then once we came up with more practical strategies, they started saying we're mean, which I'm like, okay, well, then suffer, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, one example of this is, you know, liberal feminists, they're like, it's so unfair that, you know, if a man has lots of sex, he's a stud. But if a woman has lots of sex, she's a slut. I should be able to just be a slut and have sex with as many men as I want and do whatever I want. And there shouldn't be any consequences for me. And I'm like, okay, girl, like you can go out and sleep with however many men you want. And I don't think that makes you like a bad person or anything like that. But understand that like you're putting yourself at risk, right? And we get accused of like slut shaming or, you know, being uh, sexual conservatives or so on. And for us, the sexual conservatism or the quote unquote sexual conservatism stuff isn't about, uh, you know, we make men wait for sex, not because of, you know, purity culture, because we think women who have sex are dirty. We do that because when you have sex with men, you're giving up your power. Yeah. And I see things through the lens of power. And unfortunately, we just live in a world where when a man and a woman have sex, he wins and she loses. It sucks, but it is what it is, right? It's not even just that. It's just that like the risk is higher for us, right? That's just a biological reality. The rewards for men are higher. The risks are higher for us. Yeah. Well, my my point is, is like we, we've covered this in a bunch of episodes in FDS about like how women are more susceptible to STDs. There's obviously intimate partner violence. Like there's things like sexual assault. Men have higher proclivity towards violence. There's obviously pregnancy, abortion. And then you have a lot less likelihood you're even going to orgasm or have pleasurable sex from the encounter. So like we're looking at it from, even if you just take out of the dynamics, just pretend gender doesn't exist. If you look at two populations of people and you just line the factors up any given interaction about who's going to benefit more, you can just see that the risks and rewards are not equal. So therefore, their versions of equality are never going to work unless we magically divorce ourselves from our biology, which is that they keep trying to increasingly do, which has its own massive amounts of harm. So the conservative take on it is, and it's so trite, and I think a lot of people might be triggered by this. So trigger warning, um, I stand by the lock and key metaphor where a key that can open many locks is a master key and a lock that can be opened by many keys it's a broken lock i mean i don't think that men who have a lot of sex are like master keys i think they're just community dick a lot of times those guys are actually being thrown back in the pool a lot because they're bad at sex 
<laughs> discussion we had. They don't have any repeat customers. Yeah. Well, yeah. We were talking about with in with Savannah where like there's always this idea that the guys that have a lot of a sex are like the alpha guys, but sometimes actually the best dudes are the ones that get snatched up in relationships. And then the men that are constantly on the market is because like no women want them. They're bad. Their dicks are broken. Yeah. <laughs> There's something broken. Yeah. Broken dick. Um, I guess I, I need to take back, like, I'm going to walk back, like, the master part of it. But at the end of the day, like, a woman has a lot more to lose than men. Like, they're both losing something. But, like, when you make 100 million sperm a day and you make X amount of eggs in a month, and, like, our body just can't handle sex the way a man's body can. Or I don't know if it's even that our body can't handle. It's just like socially the risks. I mean, me- medically, yeah, the risks are higher, you know, because we can get pregnant, right? And men can't. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, another liberal feminist gripe is I see like, you know, liberal feminists being like, why is birth control always the woman's responsibility? You know, men should take more responsibility for birth control. Well, it's because men don't face the consequences of pregnancy. And so they have no incentive to try to avoid pregnancy yeah yeah and even then they're only gonna do it if they feel the consequences are high let's say we do have a male birth control so a lot of men are going to use it as an excuse to not use condoms and or do reproductive coercion right so you trust a guy to have be on birth control but if he wants to trap you so to speak then he may not actually be on birth control he could lie about that there's just so many other risk factors that even when they're talking about like oh birth control was supposed birth control supposed to be the great equalizer in the sexual market and it didn't really one because like all of the side effects that women have to experience with birth control including loss of sex drive ironically so you're you're already deadening your sex drive in the first place and then two now there's a lot more pressure to like not use condoms because the possibility of pregnancy is lessened because they're like they look at it now it's completely a woman's responsibility to make sure a baby doesn't happen. That's the other thing with liberal feminists. They don't want to acknowledge things like, oh, you know, if male birth control became widely available, a man could lie about using it and then use that to like baby trap a woman. And then the liberal feminists, well, not all men are like that. And And it's like, we don't need all men to be like that. We just need some of them to be like that for it to create a risk. But again, liberal feminists don't want to talk about risks versus and reward. They just want to talk about how things should be or how things would be in an ideal world. And unfortunately, we don't live in a utopia right? We're not there yet, right? So there's, it's not beneficial to pretend like we've already achieved this utopia when we haven't, right? We're just going to be putting ourselves at a disadvantage. And the last thing about this paragraph is, with my line, women didn't start this war, men did, women are finally fighting back, is because I know that a lot of people, a lot of men especially, they see feminism as like an attack on men or an attack on masculinity. And I want to be very clear that that's just like the macro scale of Darvo. So men who are abusers, right? Like Lundy Lundy Bancroft writes about this in his book, you know, why does he do that? Abusive men often reverse aggressor and victim. And so he describes a scenario in his book where an abusive man grabs his wife's neck and like pushes her against the wall. And when she kicks him in the balls, he says, she attacked me, right? Totally ignoring the fact that he attacked her first, right? He frames her self-defense as an attack on him. And the thing that I see with a lot of anti-feminist stuff is that men seem to think that the natural order, the way that things should be, is for men to dominate women, and for women to resist male domination is seen as an attack on men. And so I want to be very clear that I'm sure there's going to be people trying to misconstrue this idea of feminist realism as like, oh, they want to abuse men. Oh, they want to be this and that and do horrible shit to men. And no, I'm not, I'm saying this purely from like a self-defense standpoint, okay? Like men want to dominate women under, you know, under patriarchy, men want to dominate women and I don't want to be dominated. That's really what it is. 
And sometimes it's not even on purpose. So like, let's just even just say it's not a conscious thing for most of them. It's just that they have zero idea or understanding of our experience. So some things are just a byproduct of, or they're entitled. Well, some of it's just a byproduct of ignorance, right? Like they just, they cannot understand what it's like to inhabit our bodies. So once again, it's important for us to like ruthlessly advocate for self so that we can put our voice to the forefront because they have no concept of it. So even in the best case scenario, it's it's like trying to understand another culture you're not a part of, right? Like there's a lot of people time that like will comment on other things that are going on in other countries and they're not immersed in the culture enough to understand a lot of the nuances of that experience, right? And it comes across tone deaf and ignorant. And even though they're really, really trying and it's just not always effective because it's like there's so many other factors that you're missing because you're not part of this. So like, I think we don't even have to think of it as a negative we don't even if you're the type of person that doesn't want to look at it as like a zero-sum game or like doesn't want to look at it as like men are like our oppressors just understand that they just don't have a fucking clue they don't they don't know can i tell a story about that actually that's very very relevant so it was just a couple weeks ago um i asked a friend of mine now when was the last time you were afraid and he looked at me like i asked him what does air taste like and he's like what (laughs) (laughs) he's like afraid um I don't know. I guess when I threw out my back and I thought like I broke something and I'm like, no, no, no. I mean like existentially, when was the last time you were afraid? He couldn't think of it. And so I went around and made it a point to ask like a lot of my guy friends, like when was the last time you were truly afraid? Just like walk down the street. And I lived in one of the scariest cities in the entire country in the U S and I'm just like, a lot of my guy friends like don't own guns. And I'm like, why don't you own a gun here? They're like, Oh, the laws are too complicated. I'm like, but it's scary. Aren't you afraid that somebody, and then they were just like, uh, I guess, but no, I guess it'd be awkward if somebody broke in, but yeah, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But like men don't even have an understanding of the existential fear that we, like you guys can relate, right? Like living inner city. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you haven't even, yeah. yeah. Whereas like guys who live in my zip code were just like, "Hmm, no, I'm fine. Yeah. I was trying to explain to a guy I was dating that I almost got snatched up off the street this is when I was in New York, by the way, where there was some guy that was following me, like, and not even just a little bit following me, like booking it towards me. Right. And so I had to run into a Rite Aid to like avoid this guy. But like, he was just like, well, how do you know? I'm like, he was booking straight for me, like trying to explain to them that like, there's, you know, not to mention the daily street harassment, but like the daily fear that you live in just walking outside being female. Yeah. And they just can't relate that we're actually on alert. 24 hours it's like i don't know what might be a threat to my life and they're just like that's a, and i had a guy friend once tell me he's like that's a difficult way to live i'm like <laughs> what it's your fault <laughs> yeah that, that's another thing is like i whenever i try to talk about this sort of thing with men is they always try to downplay it or be like oh you know you can't live your life constantly being in fear oh you know <laughs> I, are you sure you're seeing things the right way he could just mean it this way and not in like a sexual way or whatever right like they're always trying to tell me that my perception of reality is wrong and it's like no bitch your perception of reality is wrong okay? yeah. <laughs> like my, i am correct in feeling you know, threatened by men because men do commit violence against women. Right. And a lot of men, you know, either they're men who don't commit violence against women. And so they cannot fathom the idea of hurting a woman or they are violent towards women and they want to obfuscate their intentions. In both cases, they're going to be like, what? I had no idea. That's what you're going through regardless of their intentions. It's like, yeah. 
But on that note, though, so you said men who would and wouldn't, and then there's that middle class of men that wouldn't do that, but have also witnessed women in that situation. So I had another friend who worked in a sorority house and has seen women go through and has been like very, very close to those conversations at a very young age while he was in college. So now he's the most like sympathetic and is like, all women need to own guns. All women need to know self-defense. Don't trust men on the first date. Make sure that, you know, he's even like scared of other men for women. And he's like that big brother personality. So good men are out there. They just need more of a reality check to understand what we're going through because they just can't relate immediately. Yeah. I'm going to get to, in a future article, I'm going to get to male defectors. By male defectors, I mean men who are defector, who are like team female and not team patriarchy. You know, and I, I think this is an important distinction is that in this conversation, I'm talking about resisting patriarchy, which is a system of power. Um, some men are anti-patriarchy. And I mean, some of them say that they are, but their actions are, you know, otherwise. But um, anyways, but jumping back in the article, did you guys have any other points? Okay. So next point, another unfortunate reality of current male-female relations is that female power is extremely taboo. Or women are only given power, aka empowered, if it serves male interests. Female socialization indoctrinates women into sacrificing our own wants and needs for the benefit of others, especially men. And women's self-preservation instincts are beaten out of us from a young age, both literally and figuratively, whereas men and boys are encouraged to seek status and compete for power. Powerful men are seen as great leaders, alpha, worthy of admiration, whereas powerful women are seen as domineering, controlling, you know, calculating, mean, greedy, evil, and deserving of punishment. And this double standard is as old as patriarchy itself, and it is a deliberate strategy to declaw women and make us feel immense guilt, fear, and shame at the thought of wielding power. So the one comment I want to have about this part of this part is that this is another thing that I feel that radical feminism and liberal feminism both fail at is that they both you know, radical feminists will talk about power dynamics, but they don't seem to, uh, even the most staunch radical feminists seem to me, in my opinion, seem to be indoctrinated by female socialization in a way where they're afraid to talk about power, right? Uh, you know, I often get hostilely quote retweeted by people. Whenever I talk about power on Twitter, people, there's always some people that are like, or some radical feminists that are like, we don't want to be like men. You know, we want female liberation. I don't want to be a power hungry psychopath like men, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, it's unfortunate, but we need to talk, we need to talk about power. Like I know that a lot of rad femmes get, you know, wigged out by the word power, the concept of power, and they get immense guilt and fear and shame at the thought of wielding power because it's associated with male dominance. It's associated with abuse and so on. And Here's the thing. It's like, if you're not willing to become more powerful, you're always going to be powerless, right? Like if the other party is trying to get power and you're just sitting there being anemic and not trying to increase your own power, you're never not going to be oppressed. If you think about independence movements from various countries where a colonial power, European colonial power was colonizing another country, they never just like leave because the people there were like, hey, can you please stop colonizing us? <laughs> oh, our bad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> I didn't know y'all didn't like that or anything. Colonizers, they're not going to leave unless you force them to leave, right? The way that you become independent and have an independence movement as a country is by forming a resistance organization, arming yourselves, engaging in sabotage. There's all these strategies and so on that colonized people have used to increase their own power relative to a much larger, more powerful nation that's colonizing them, you know, you're never going to be able to repel the colonizer 
without violence or force of some kind. Yeah, violence is going to be hard. Hard sell. Yeah, violence has been difficult for women in particular because we are just physically smaller. Like this is a situation where we're outgunned by every conceivable measure. Yeah, and that's why it's important to use other strategies like information war and so on. So that's why, and I'm going to be getting into that. Like, what are nonviolent strategies to overthrow? Nonviolent Machiavellian strategies to overthrow patriarchy. That's what feminist realism is going to be about. So what you're talking about is asymmetric warfare. Yeah. As it pertains to feminism, right? Where you have like an insurgency. So the term, I think, overthrow in this situation, if we're not, if we're not talking kinetic, would be subvert where you're taking something that already holds mainstream authority and then you subvert it, not overtly, but by every other way, except for directly facing off. We were looking at like social movement theory. How do you get people that aren't exactly within the environment on your side to get you to your end end goal? Yeah. It's like, how do you decrease the power of your enemy and increase your own power? And the unfortunate thing is, yeah, a lot of women just seem afraid of the concept of power. They think they associate it with abuse or, you know, being mean or whatever. It's seen as being mean. And so. So maybe it could be used the word power to say like influence and authority rather than just power for the sake of just power. I think it's worth studying the word, like the concept of power, right? I think it's something that women need to accept (laughs) is to recognize their own power and be willing to wield it. I think because it goes against the narrative we've often been indoctrinated into from the time we were children is that social movements happen because of like kumbaya handholding. <laughs> this is actually, this could be an episode in its own right about like the whitewashing of history, the strategic promotion of certain types of ideas of resistance as like more favorable than others. Like nonviolent. Yeah, nonviolent. Looking at Gandhi and, you know, Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King Jr. as the epitome of civil rights activism when they had largely nonviolent methods. And then looking at, you know, uh, you know, Black Panther or whatever is being, oh, they're, you know, they're violent, they're bad. But hi- yeah, but history's <laughs> been way more complex than that. And it's not like always a hero narrative the way they try to portray. Like the Black Panthers actually did have a very huge influence on civil rights. But since they weren't like, quote unquote, nonviolent, then people sort of downplay the effect that that had in influencing political opinions, right? So like Martin Luther King can exist because the Black Panthers exist because he's not the scary black people, right? There's some, there's, there's, it's, <laughs> it's not like those black people. <laughs> yeah. So there's like, there's way more um, historical nuance and I feel like we're taught to believe. And so that's why you see stuff like the, the Occupy Wall Street that just fell all the way apart because these people thought if I just do a drum circle outside of Bear Stearns, <laughs> they're going to see the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, this is like, I want to, my eyes cannot roll farther in the back of my fucking head. Like, another example actually of this is the suffragettes right like when we look at history the narratives that are promoted are always like oh the suffragettes they went on hunger strikes they campaigned they did this and this that's always talking about the non-violent aspect of their movement the suffragettes were they chose violence okay (laughs) they'd go out there with hammers breaking windows and shit and those women you know at the time were made fun of and they're still sort of made fun of now it's like ah they're crazy prohibitionists you know they want to prevent us from having fun or whatever and it's like you know and i actually think that the suffragettes there was another woman who threw herself in front of a horse and died you know it's that sort of thing like these sorts of like extreme tactics 
work, right? And I feel like this, yeah, whitewashing or revisionist history of trying to make everything seem like, you know, flowers and <laughs> holding hands and seeing Kumbaya. And then they all hugged in the end, yeah. And they all hugged in the end. Trying to portray civil rights movements as nice, as opposed to, you know... Power subversion, and sometimes extremist power subversion. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's very convenient that the powers that be always portray the violent stuff or the um, more extreme tactics as inherently bad. I think it's a deliberate tactic to declaw future civil rights movements. I think what would be interesting to explore further is social movement theory, because I think feminist realism lends itself to a social movement that can be used to further our desired end state. And in order to do that, if we're not choosing direct kinetic methods, then it's like social movement. How do we get people? How do we win hearts and minds in order to get that end state? Erica Chenoweth wrote a great book and, um, She's an interesting character, but great thoughts. And uh, it's her book is called Civil Movement, uh, Why Civil Resistance Works. Basically what she gets into, it's a series of case studies and how certain groups of people were able to leverage certain um, centers of gravity within a certain community to get their end state. Um, it's on a geopolitical level, but you can really take the same concept and use it to further any interests that you have. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, that's something I definitely want to explore in future articles, but... Um, so instead of power, liberal feminists often talk about the word empowerment. Now, this is my biggest gripe, right? Instead of power, they talk about empowerment. They say things like, oh, porn, oh, you know, escorting, whatever, being a prostitute, appealing to the male gaze. That's what makes them feel empowered. And I'd like to take a moment to define the word empowerment, Empowerment is defined as authority or power given to someone to do something, meaning that the power is granted by a higher authority for a specific purpose. And so the problem with the liberal feminist vision of empowerment is that it's not true female power because it's dependent on male patronage and is conditional on serving male interests. Yeah, the empowerment narrative is really strange to me because it's often like we've highlighted in FDS, exactly what men have socialized women to doing, but they just reclaim it. And I've noticed that both on liberal and conservative culture, right? And as a person who grew up a uh, Christian conservative, they were always trying to claim that like the submissive position of the wife is actually the power position, right? And they would always just like try to subvert the meaning of words to create the illusion of power, very similar to how the BDSM community does the same thing. Well, they'll be like, the submissive actually has the power in the sexual relationship, you know? So it's, um, no, they fucking don't. That's not how power works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like they say these things as tropes, but then they don't ever do anything other than like a surface level analysis of what that means. And I know some of the feminist sex wars and then also, uh, we've discussed things like paying on dates, et cetera, et cetera. Like all these things are supposed to show men or demonstrate our power, but like draining your bank account doesn't increase your power, sis. Okay. Like money is power. Keep it. <laughs> it hasn't had any influence on men such that it changes anything they're doing. Right. Like, cause power also means like the ability to influence your environment. And so a lot of these things that they were doing were just, things that men wanted anyways. And they're just existing within the binary of like the Madonna whore binary and then quote unquote reclaiming it. I think their, their version of empowerment is just reclaiming oppression narratives and, a, but like not examining what they're giving up and what they're losing in exchange for claiming that role. 
And so they miss the actual power dynamic at play here. Yeah, instead of challenging the actual power dynamics at play, they just try to redefine. This is another thing I hate about liberalism is they'll just be like, oh, it's not this that's happening. Let's just redefine the words so that the words mean something different. And then that's going to change reality. I'm sorry, but redefining the words doesn't change the reality. Okay, you can use whatever the fuck words you want to describe a situation. It doesn't change what's actually going on, right? But you can't just call something something else and it's not real. Yeah, you can't just be like, war is peace. (laughs) You guys sound real Republican right now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, call me a conservative anyways. (laughs) I'm giving But um, they never understood the cost-benefit analysis part of this, right? Like, that's the problem. They just are like, well, if I choose to do it, and that's liberalism, like, if I choose to do it, that's an exhibition of my freedom. And I'm like, yes and no. Like, we all live in a society... We have to make certain trade-offs or we make we have to look at how our interactions affect others as well as how other people's interactions affect us. And by sort of reclaim quote unquote reclaiming these narratives, they, it's like they haven't really done any type of class analysis or even an individual analysis of what it costs them. And that's something that FDS has filled the gap in, right? When we talk to people who are part of the scene or all these other cultures and being like, yes, I felt I was told I would be empowered, but when I looked at what I was actually getting, the facts of the value that I was getting in exchange, it was literally peanuts or nothing, right? Or it was covering up other types of ways that I was being exploited. So I think that's, they're very easy to manipulate if all you have to do is change the wording around it and not actually examine the cost benefit analysis to yourself and as well as society as a whole. Yeah, like a woman saying, oh, doing prostitution makes me feel empowered is like, I don't know, might be offensive, but it's like a slave being like, I'm just really passionate about picking cotton, okay? I choose to pick cotton. Not to be a downer, but uh, some of the women who have talked about sex work being empowering that they'll also say oh my clients treat me nicer than any other man ever has and like so you sort of understand okay it's empowering to a woman who have experienced extreme levels of abuse and they don't know any better so they're being told this is empowering because their default is understanding themselves as being sexually exploited or as sex objects and so giving them a tiny bit of agency seems empowering to them But on the topic of false empowerment, jumping back to the article, a similar phenomenon happens in traditional cultures where marriage is the only way that a woman can obtain security for herself and for her children. And right-wing women generally believe that by, you know, submitting to her husband and offering him various caretaking and sexual services that he'll respond in kind by protecting and providing for her. Unfortunately, traditional men don't always hold up their end of the bargain. And even when they do, the security that he provides her comes with the heavy cost of sacrificing her freedom and decision-making power. Yeah, that's that's the trade-offs. <laughs> and if I had if I had a um a villain origin story, a lot of it would have come from me realizing that everything all of the ways I've been socialized within my religious culture was set up for me to be exploited and fail. Yeah, it's it's this uh, and I I actually do really feel for conservative women uh, or trad women, you know, who think, oh, you know, my life will be great as soon as I find a husband who will take care of me and my life will be so much better than all these other bitches who don't have a man to take care of them. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I see this a lot with women, you know, trad women being like, why would I want to work in an office for a boss who doesn't even care about me, who's going to like treat me like shit and so on, when I could just have a husband who provides for me and takes care of me. The idea of working to them in a paid job is seen as worse than working for free for a man or something like that. I don't know. And sometimes it is if they're working class, they, I mean, it's like that or Amazon warehouse. Right. And so 
for them, the trade-off makes sense. But the problem is, is then you give that man almost all of the power. And this, and if you need to leave the legal system, the judicial system, the political system, the economic system is not set up to help you. When it comes to the whole like trad wife, conservative woman thing, um, so conservative women are not a monolith. I think there's this idea within the feminist conversation and narrative that, you know, conservative women fall into this one group and liberal women are afforded more of like a socioeconomic diversity, but there are well-off women, independent women, capable women that are conservative for other reasons. I think it boils down to choice and having the ability to consent to what kind of reality you want to live in. And it's not imposed by on you by a system. And in today's world, it's imposed on women by the system created by men. So what women, at least on the right, what I can say what we want is the choice to be stay-at-home uh, stay moms without being shamed for it. The choice to be a working woman until our mid-30s and maybe adopt or have children in an uh, alternative manner without being shamed or not have an abortion at 19 and like raise a child if I want to and not be shamed for it. So if we can get out of this, you know, you have to take a certain path because you're a woman, I think that would be the ideal for most women on the right. Yeah. So my, my point being that like in the sort of trad wife, traditional marriage, she trades her freedom in exchange for security. And she's basically completely and utterly at the mercy of his will. My point being that both liberalism and traditionalism mislead women into believing that women benefit from cooperating with men and serving their interests. And so my view, at least according to feminist realism, is that for every crumb of benefit that women receive as a reward for serving male interests, men get the entire loaf. So why should we settle for crumbs when we can take over the entire bakery? I want the whole cake. <laughs> I want the whole fucking cake. I don't want crumbs, okay? <laughs> I want the bakery and the staff. Exactly. If you'd like to read this article, you can check out my recently launched Substack, feministrealism.substack.com. I'll also drop a link in the show notes. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening, Team Female. If you want to discuss this further, check out our new Facebook group on Facebook. There's a link in our show notes. You can also check us out on Twitter at Female Political and our Patreon if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash female political strategy. See you next week. Mm-hmm.